Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Back to the Swamp 24-7 Podcast. I'm your host, Thomas Goldcamp, and I have the pleasure of introducing to you today, for the first time with the Swamp 24-7 team, Jacob Rudner. He is our new full-time writer for Swamp 24-7. He's going to be working with me on the beat. He'll be working with Blake, helping with recruiting, kind of a jack-of-all-trades, and you know, only been with us for uh, a little bit now, but we can already see the effects. So, Jacob, wanted to welcome you to the show, man. How you doing? I'm doing well, Thomas. I appreciate you. Uh, you know, excited to to be a part of the squad, and uh, you know, it's been a it's been a fun two weeks. hasn't been a ton of time yet, but you know, learning the ropes and uh, getting involved has been has been fun so far. Well, one of the things I wanted to do, and we talked about it a little bit before the show, is you have kind of a, a fresh perspective on the Florida Gators. You you walk in with no real preconceived notions other than maybe what you've seen on TV from across the country. Um, so, Jacob, I think I'm going to kind of pick your brain on this episode a little bit, especially with what we've seen the first two practices. I know we're not seeing a ton necessarily, only 15 minutes of open window. Um, but I think going into the spring, there were kind of a couple key storylines that everybody was focusing on. The big one, obviously, is quarterback. So I wanted to quickly kind of get your thoughts on, on what you've seen out of the quarterback position so far. It does seem like there's pecking order developing, but what has stood out to you so far from you know the 30 minutes or so we've seen of the quarterbacks? Yeah, you know, I'm going to preface this with we have been really limited in what we've been able to see. 15 minutes is not a lot of time to evaluate anything, really. And we've only had two of those 15-minute windows so far this spring. So to draw any concrete conclusions so far, I think, would be a little bit premature. Uh, That being said, if I'm being perfectly honest, I haven't been terribly impressed with the quarterback play. I think that we've seen some accuracy problems early. That was particularly the case on Thursday, the second practice of Florida's spring sessions, uh, you know, some throws, just some low, some high, uh, some wide, and not a whole bunch on target. I think that the receivers were kind of left to have a tougher day, particularly on Thursday. But like you said, we have started to see a pecking order develop. Anthony Richardson, Emory Jones have kind of started to sneak out in front of the competition. Jack Miller, I'd say, is probably the third guy on that depth chart right now. But again, it's early. Uh, I think that there's a lot still to see from that group, particularly from Richardson, who told us that he didn't really throw a whole bunch over the offseason. And once those things start to happen, I think that we'll really begin to understand where that position group is at. So for now, not the most mind-blowing performance, but certainly early, and we haven't really seen a whole lot to absolutely draw that conclusion. Yeah, I mean, like you said, it's been two practices. We've seen 15 minutes. You know, we have talked to a couple people, obviously, within the program that have seen more of the practices. Um, and we're getting similar story, right? So I, I don't think that what we're seeing in those 15 minutes is necessarily not reflective of what's going on in the rest of practice. But to your point, you know, these guys are in a new system for the first time. Frankly, they weren't super accurate last year. So I don't know that it should necessarily be surprising to anybody. 
Um, but you mentioned Emory Jones being in the mix right now. I think for a lot of fans, they went into at least spring ball kind of wondering, you know, what the plan with Emory was because, you know, going back to really before the Gasparilla Bowl, there was a report out there from from Pete Thamel of, of Yahoo Sports at the time and is now with ESPN that Emory Jones planned to enter the transfer portal after the Gasparilla Bowl. Of course, Jacob, that never happened. And as you've seen the last couple of days, Emory's out there. He looks like he's, you know, either 1A or 1B in the pecking order. Um, we had a chance to talk to Emory. Can you kind of just fill fans in on what Emory told us as far as why he chose to stuck around, stick around at Florida, at least for the spring? It seemed pretty Billy Napier driven. And I think that that's been the case for a lot of the team's older returning players and that there's this con confidence in this new coach who might actually be able to turn the program around and restore it in a direction that it used to be, uh, you know, when fans think back fondly of the program. Uh, and that's not just the case with Emory, although he did say that he had a conversation with uh, Napier's former quarterback at Louisiana, uh, and that helped him kind of steered in the direction of wanting to return to the program. And I will also say this, and it doesn't exactly answer your question, but I think it's important that Jones is back. Uh, if for no other reason than there needed to be competition in that room, and I'm not so sure that the best version of that competition was going to be Anthony Richardson versus guys who have little to zero experience within the program. And Jack Miller, as we said in, in the last thing we just spoke about, Miller is probably number three at the moment. And if it was Richardson one, Miller two, I'm not so sure that the competition is as stiff as it needs to be for spring to really get the maximized version of the development that this new coaching staff is looking for out of the position group if Jones isn't a part of it. So I think it's a huge benefit to the team that they got Jones back, and it is Billy Napier driven. He was the one who had those conversations. His former players were the ones who had those conversations, and that is actually, in my opinion, a big win. Yeah, I think there's a couple ways to look at it, and I do understand fans that sort of watched the Emory Jones experience last year being a little bit hesitant at Emory still being around, frankly. And I guess there's a question of whether or not that competition is worth it for the potential rifts that can occur. And one of the things that Emory kind of hinted at, and, and I can tell you from talking to people behind the scenes, the team was not fully on board with what happened with the quarterbacks last year. And some of those guys that maybe were less on board are no longer with the program now, which I think is a good thing. Um, but you do run the risk of kind of those fissions in the team lingering and, and going on. And it'll be on Billy Napier and his staff to make sure that from a chemistry standpoint, those things don't become an issue. But you do also take away reps from some of these younger guys, the Jack Millers, uh, you know, Carlos Del Rio Wilson and Jalen Kitten. And I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I think your point about the added competition for Anthony Richardson is is absolutely true because, Jacob, I do look at this roster and I say, I think Florida's in trouble if if Jack Miller and you know we haven't seen a lot of Jack Miller yet, so I'll, I'll hold that on him. But if any of these other guys have to step in, I'm not very confident right now. So, um, I think there's a couple things happening with Emory Jones. One, I think getting his degree at Florida was was paramount, and he wasn't able to do that in the winter. So I think being able to finish his degree and not have to worry about which credits transfer for his telecommunications degree if he if he leaves to another school, I think was a big part of it. I'm still not convinced that Emory Jones will be around for the fall. I know he was asked that question when we were talking to him the other day, Jacob, and he kind of said, I'm committed, I'm here. But really, it wasn't necessarily a, you know, 
I thought he answered it the way he needed to answer it to to sort of leave the door open. So we'll see where that goes going forward. But um, to your point, I, I do think that group has to make a lot of strides going forward. And I think until they do, I think, you know, it's it's hard to evaluate the receivers, too, because there were some drops and stuff the first couple of days that we've seen. Um, but it's hard. I mean, you know, it's it's one of those questions that we went into the spring with is like, does Florida maybe have more skill t- skill position talent than we think? And the quarterbacks just kind of obfuscated that last year with their play and, and kind of hid the fact that maybe there are some players in that group or are both sort of an issue. And uh, I'll be curious to get your thoughts on that going forward, Jacob. But um, for me, I, I went into the spring kind of thinking that people were maybe sleeping on the skill position talent a little bit. I got to be honest with you, and I, I posted this on the Swamp 24-7 message boards last night. I'm not so sure anymore. Like, I hate to say that after two 15-minute windows, but just physically, you know, looking at some of the receivers, I don't see a lot of guys that jump out in terms of their ability to really make cuts and, and get open. But uh, I'd be curious to get your thoughts on that. Well, I mean, you and I were even talking about it before Thursday's practice, and it was pretty apparent even from just session one. And again, let me reiterate, we, we only saw, I don't know, what, was it probably 10, 12 minutes? Yeah, it was shorter on Tuesday. Yeah, and, and I think it was already pretty clear that the, the skill groups were behind. I'm not going to say that they were bad, but I'm going to say that they were probably slightly behind. And we did see drops, and we did see some, you know, lackluster route running. Again, I'm, I'm hesitant to call anything bad just because it is so early. Yeah. But it, no, nothing impressive is probably the best way to put it. And, and that still applies. I think that on Thursday, a lot of the issues we saw in our 15-minute window of observation were quarterback-driven. I think that accuracy was more of a problem on Thursday than it was Tuesday, at least when we were watching. And I think that that makes it a little bit difficult to evaluate exactly what we were seeing, but there were still drops and there were conversations between coaches and players about running a better route or getting their feet in bounds or getting their hands on the ball and prioritizing making the catch as one would think before trying to get your feet going down the field, which is important. I, I, I do think though, particularly when it comes to skill positions, it's important to wait a little bit longer into the spring before making an evaluation, because I do think that it's actually much harder for those guys to get up to speed in the spring. Whereas for a quarterback, you would expect at least accuracy. Maybe the arm strength comes back in a little bit later, especially for a guy like Richardson who didn't really have the ability to throw over the off season. The one guy I do want to single out though, because it's been back-to-back practices where he has received significant praise is Fenley Graham transitioning potentially into a slot role, only two practices as a receiver so far this spring. But every single practice we've been at, the guy who we keep hearing, this was good, good job, do that again, nice rep, is Fenley Graham. So I think that that's a very early positive. I don't want to evaluate the group as a whole yet, but to single out one guy who I think has been solid through two sessions, that's that's my pick. Yeah, and I think if, you know, if I had to add to that, I think – To me, Marcus Burke and Dejon Reynolds both really look the part. You know, those are the two second-year receivers that, you know, Burke started to get some run at the end of last season. I think a lot of fans were excited to see him. Those guys both look good. I just, you know, I don't know if there's a, like, real number one go-to guy right now. And and to your point, you know, it's so early. These guys are are swimming in the scheme right now. They You know, they're just trying to sort of be in the right spot more than anything at this point. And I think as you kind of get more comfortable with the scheme as you learn the playbook, as you learn how these coaches want things to run in certain drills and all that, 
the speed tends to pick up after the fact. So it's not necessarily surprising to me that maybe it doesn't look like there's a ton of speed. I will say one guy that has some speed, Marcus Bowman, man. He, at running back, I think he's going to be a story where we look back and we talk about, you know, Dan Mullen's staff really overly prioritizing seniority and, and you know, guys that they sort of knew could get the job done at the expense of maybe guys like DeMarcus Bowman who have absolutely just clear-cut home run hitting ability. So I, I think he's a guy that, you know, when, when I say the skill position talent isn't up to snuff, I, I got to go ahead and say he's a guy I think that can change that in a real hurry. And look, Lorenzo Lingard looks the part too right now. I, and we'll see. I mean, obviously he's, you know, had a little bit more time in college and you'd think would have had more time to show what he can do. But from a physical standpoint, I like the look of Florida's running backs room. It's just inexperienced at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you said that because I, I was actually going to, my next point was going to be that I've liked how the running backs have looked so far. I thought they had a good session on Tuesday, thought they had an even better session on Thursday. They look quick. I think that their, their position group has had uh, solid skill development sessions. And again, that's all we've really been able to see. So we're, we're kind of basing this off of non-game things, which is really difficult, but I do think that that group has looked punchy. I think that they have done a good job at just staying focused. And that has been apparent in the coaching response, which I think is another really important, easy way to evaluate things, particularly early in the spring. It's how are coaches responding to what's happening in front of them? Well, when we watched the receivers yesterday, not a lot of positive feedback. There was a lot of uh, strike one, strike two being yelled out. And I think that that's a new system that they're using when guys are making mistakes. Running backs haven't heard that as much. A lot more praise from running backs coach Jabbar Jaluk. He's talked very highly, particularly of Bowman. Uh, Lingard has looked solid so far. I'm interested to see what Naquan Wright's going to do when he's fully ready to go. We haven't seen that quite yet. And one guy that I'll single back out on the receiver side that we haven't seen is Trent Whittemore. Right. And I think that it's going to be important to see him get going to. He has not practiced yet this or fully so far. We didn't see him on Tuesday and then yesterday. Thursday, we, we saw him leave early. So it'll be interesting to see what he looks like when he gets back into the mix as well. Yeah, I think he's a guy that when you talk about, you know, maybe the lack of athletes that jump off the page, he's maybe the best athlete in that receiver room. Like he, he can go out and get the ball. And I was, we were talking to Bob Redman about this before practice, but it does seem like he's hurt a lot. Well, one of the things is he, he lays out for, for passes. I mean, he, he puts himself in a position to, and I think you got to have that willingness, particularly if you're talking about, Florida trying to identify some slot guys, you know, maybe Fenley Graham fits in there. Well, Trent Whittemore maybe is not your, your prototypical, you know, kind of smaller statured uh, electric in a phone booth type, but he is a crafty route runner and he's very athletic. So I think for me, he's one of those guys that when you talk about, you know, maybe were there receivers that, that could have put up bigger numbers had there been better quarterback play last year. If you go back and you're, you know, you're in the stadium at those games, he was open a lot. And, and to me, that's, that's a, quality of a good receiver. Florida just missed him a lot last year. Jacob, one other thing I wanted to point out real quick, because I know we've mentioned the 15 minutes only thing like a couple times, and it's a real deal. I so like, I'm always twofold on that one. I think it's valuable what we're seeing. And I think as long as we're not talking to sources, you know, that are at practices and they're saying, well, whatever you guys saw, that doesn't add up with what we saw the rest of practice. Then I think it's valuable. What we get in those 15 minutes. Like if they're, if we're hearing similar things, from the rest of practice, then it's it's probably worth investing at least some degree of uh, relevance in what we're seeing. But the other thing is, when we talk about quarterback and receiver, you got to keep in mind that's primarily what we're seeing 
in these 15 minute windows. We're not seeing a whole lot of goal line drills. We're not seeing full 11 on 11. Um, we're really not even seeing Pascal. Um, so, you know, we are focused a lot on those groups because there's only so much you can report about how the cornerbacks are backpedaling or how the defensive linemen are hitting a blocking sled. So I do want to say, you know, because I know that we're sort of a little bit low on those groups right now. Caveats all around, right? Like this is a small right. window. It's only been two days. Um, and we are looking most heavily at that group where it's probably easiest to see, you know, where they're at. So, Jacob, let's take a quick break. I do want to get back and talk about particularly the offensive line, because that's going to be a really fascinating group. I don't think we've seen as much of the defense, and you can certainly correct me if, you, if I'm wrong and you've seen more. But let's take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back talking the rest of what we've seen from spring after this. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp here with Jacob Rudner. We're talking about Florida spring football. We've had the chance to see two open windows of spring practices so far as Billy Napier and his new staff get underway. Obviously, a lot to take in. And quite frankly, we haven't seen a ton yet. Um, but what we have seen, I think, is worth passing along. I think, you know, Florida football, always an appetite for that. So, Jacob, I know tight end was a group that we talked about. And, and I know I mentioned to you, I think, from my standpoint, the fact that this staff signed three tight ends in one class to me, it tells you a little bit, at least, about how they feel about the position and what they've got to work with. I'm curious what you've seen from that group so far in the spring. This has been the most limited skill position group on the offensive side in terms of our visibility and what we've been able to kind of glean from the two practices. Um, it, it's really early with this group. Uh, I, I think that it's important to mention that, like you said to me yesterday, it's a position group that has potential, certainly. I think that they have the the guys to potentially succeed. 
I, I also think, though, that there hasn't been anybody who's stood out yet. And that's not because somebody's performed poorly or they've all performed poorly. It's really just because we haven't been able to see a whole bunch. And I think that this is also kind of one of those groups where it's difficult to evaluate when you aren't seeing 11 on 11. And the reason for that is because so much of this position group is blocking and their ability to be physical. And for us to not have any chance to see that quite yet kind of makes it a pretty limited view of what the group is, but I'll keep it to an overall comment. And it's that I think that there's potential here and it's going to be an interesting group to follow as we go forward, but it's really, that's it right now. I would think we're probably making a mistake if we take away too much from the spring on tight ends, simply for the fact that they are going to bring in three that they kind of handpicked. I mean, I, I think we got to be patient on that group is, is kind of my takeaway. I, I will also say I'm really high on Nick Elksness. I think, you know, with his size at 6'6", his ability to run, um, I know we haven't seen it a whole lot yet, but I can tell you from last year and watching him, there's a lot of people that are high on Nick Elksness. And I think, you know, it's interesting to me that they did sign three, knowing that a lot of people in the program feel that way about, about Nick. Um, we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I think, like you said, uh, early for that group, it is hard to, to, to see a whole lot when, Again, we're not seeing anything really physical yet. You know, the first two days, they got to be in helmets and shorts only. Then they can move to half shells for another two days, and then they get to the full pads. And then you get to the first scrimmage, and, and you really have a better idea. Offensive line, Jacob, is kind of the same story, right? Like, we're not seeing a whole lot of O-line versus D-line action yet. We're not seeing goal-line drills, um, really even half-line drills. What we're seeing out of that is just the O-line working with each other. It's not half-line, O-line versus half-line or versus de defensive line. From a physical standpoint, I guess, then, what is your impression of the offensive line early on? These are some big guys. Uh, Florida, I think, has a really physically imposing-looking offensive line room, and that is a good takeaway early from spring. I think that this room looks the part, and that is important. Uh, and I say that not only because if you look at one of these guys, you go, wow, he's, he's one big dude. But I also think that we've seen a level of physicality that's encouraging from the unit. And this is the first time I've done this as far as our, our group evaluations go. I am super impressed with the coaching of Rob Sell and Darnell Stapleton. I think that they have demanded a lot from this group. Uh, I, I actually got to stand right in front of sales guys uh, on Tuesday. They've been splitting up. Stapleton has taken a group. Sale has taken a group. And I got to really stand close and listen in on what Sale was doing on Tuesday. That guy is, you know, he demands a lot from his group. And, and I think that that is super important in an offensive line coach, a guy who's going to be pretty unrelenting, who demands physicality, even when the unit is in helmets and shorts. He wanted to see them be violent. He wanted to see them use their hands, be aggressive, you know, drive through their teammates. And that is important. It's early and it sets the tone for the unit. And it's a unit that has to be tough. And when you have a coach who's going to really preach this level of physicality, starting from day one, that's a really nice tone setter. So not only do I think that this group looks physically solid in terms of its size and strength and what we've been able to see from them, but I really do like the coaching from both offensive line coaches so far. And I think that that's a very positive sign for this unit. Yeah, I think, you know, uh, I'm laughing because I'm thinking about how to say this. I think it's a stark change from what Florida had last year, uh, really the last four years. I think my impression has been Rob Sale is demanding, but he's also very positive. And that is not the case for the previous offensive line coach. John Hevesy was kind of a, uh, a guy that I, I've heard players describe him this way, a guy that you sort of had to 
get used to. Um, you, you had to get used to his coaching style, and it wasn't for everybody. And if you weren't one of those guys, you were going to transfer out. I mean, it's, he was a, I would say, a hard coach to play for, demanding as well, um, but maybe a little bit less positive, right? Like he'd be on you, but you know, it was kind of a break you down until until you're strong kind of thing. Um, but to your point, you know, I, I do think. Florida's offensive line has a chance to potentially surprise people because of what we pointed out. There's some big dudes on this offensive line. And it's not just the guys that John Hevesy brought in. The two transfers that uh, Billy Napier brought over from Louisiana in different ways are very physical uh, specimens. Like uh, Osiris Torrance is, is a big dude, right? Like a, a big round guy. And uh, Cameron Waits at 6'8 as a tackle. Man, that guy is huge. Like I, And... Now, obviously, he's raw right now and has not played a whole lot of football. But as far as, you know, the building blocks for a good SEC offensive tackle, that guy looks the part. So, you know, Florida does have a group there that I think it's very similar to the last decade at Florida. You know, they've got a group that starting five looks pretty good if they can stay healthy. Questionable depth. And it's going to be on Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton to, to sort of bring that depth along. And, I, I you know, like to your point... I do think it, it's helpful that each of these guys is kind of only working with half the line in some of these, you know, these groups there. There's a lot more hands-on instruction, I think, than there was in the past. And I think that'll pay dividends. And, and just to, sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. I, I could just throw in one thing here on the recruiting side of things that I think has, you know, been important. It's that every recruit who I've talked to, offensive line recruit who I've talked to, has singled out the fact that Florida has two offensive line coaches and how much they love that. And the reason that they say that is because, I'm going to be able to get very hands-on instruction from a, from a coach. And that does not exist in a room where you have 15, 16, 17 scholarship offensive linemen and one guy who's assigned to focus on them. Now you have a situation where you have two coaches who get half the group per practice and they're able to watch the film of the guys that they were working with. And then they're able to switch. So the coach who didn't work with certain players is able to watch those guys and then critique based off the film. So you have two minds working with guys at a rate they probably wouldn't be able to do in any other normal offensive line room. And recruits love that. And they've been able to see that at practices and begin to understand how that's going to work. And I can tell you, just based off conversations, that has been an overwhelming positive for the team's offensive line recruiting so far. Yeah, and it's not just those two guys, right? I mean, because Florida has hired support staffers that also work with the offensive line. So you're not just talking about Rob Sale and Darnell Stapleton. You've also got Cheston Blackshear, who played offensive line at Florida and certainly knows what he's doing. And Mike Richard or Mike Richard. I don't, I'm not exactly sure how to say his last name just yet. Um, but so you've got four guys there working with the O line. I mean, to your point, you know, the hands on effect, I think, could be really big. And uh, the other thing from a recruiting standpoint, I go back to the, the positivity of Rob Sale. He's being talked about as one of these guys that parents and recruits really love when they come on visits. And I think that's important. So I'm pretty high on that group. I, you know, I'm not really sure about the depth just yet, just because I think, um, you know, Florida probably didn't recruit enough of those top 150, top 200 types on the offensive line. And I think, you know, obviously those have the highest chance of panning out. So you're, you're picking from a larger pool of players that maybe you're, you're, success rate won't be as high. Um, but they should have enough guys that are big physical to where they can get a good starting five. Let's go ahead and transition over to defense. Um, I know that we, we talked about it a little bit. It's, it's been hard to see 
as much on the defense for one, Jacob, just because of how they kind of organize us at practice and how, how we line up and where we have to go uh, during these media sessions. But um, I don't know. Is there anything that you've taken away generally about the defense so far? Um, I would say that this is probably a, a general overview of the entire defense. So this isn't position group specific. Um, I think that that unit has been coached with a lot of passion. Uh, Patrick Tony seems to be doing a really good job. Uh, like yesterday, he was throwing passes to the defensive backs and like just being very involved in the practice. And I think that that is that's important that you have a defensive coordinator who's going to be out there, who's going to be involved heavily in his unit's practices. So that was good to see. Um, and then, you know, overall, I think that there's been some good looking guys as far as the physicality of the unit. They look pretty quick. Uh, I think that the defensive linemen have solid size, similar to the offensive line. Um, but I think that the takeaways kind of stop there. And, you know, like you said, I think that the reason that that's the case is because of the limitations that we have at these practices. And for example, on Tuesday, when Florida's practicing inside, we're limited to a sideline. So we're walking up and down the field and we're trying to see everybody in a 10, 12 minute window. Thursday, we have the full 15 minutes, but the team is spread out over two fields. So it's, it's, it's just a lot of area to cover and not a lot of time. And I think that that has come at the cost of really being able to observe the defense. I will say this, though. Uh, I think you or I are going to be able to focus on the defense a little bit more next week now that we've seen the offense uh, pretty thoroughly as far as two quick practices go. And then I think that that's something that we'll be able to check back in on in a week from now and kind of give our early thoughts on that unit. But for right now, I think that the, the team looks solid physically. They, it looks like a good group. Uh, I'm impressed with Patrick Tony, who we got to speak to yesterday, and that kind of stops there. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I don't, I don't feel like I have nearly as much of a pulse on the defense. I will say, you know, as far as looking the part, Florida secondary—they've got a lot of guys there that really looked the part from a physical and athletic standpoint. I think, you know, going into the spring, I was pretty high on that group. I think Florida can have one of the best cornerback rooms in the country. When you talk about Jason Marshall, you know, obviously being kind of a stud already. And then you've got, you know, if you assume he's starting at one of those outside spots, you talk about Avery Helm, Jaden Hill, Jalen Kimber, three guys right there that, you know, if healthy, I think any of those three could be a potentially really good starter. So I think you've got a lot of competition at safety. Trey Dean being back, I think, is really, really big. And we talked to him. I don't know if there was anything that stuck out about our interview session with him yesterday, um, but there does seem to be a sense of confidence. Uh, Rashad Torrance is back. So I think the secondary has a lot of experience in ways that maybe the defensive line and linebacker really don't. You know, my concern about the D line is obviously you have Trevon Dexter, who's, who's really, really good, has kind of proven himself already. And like you said, you've got a group that physically, you know, has a lot of big bodies. I'm not really sure that the size there is going to translate quite as well in terms of them actually playing physical. There's, there's some of those guys that I think you know, they're big, but maybe it's bad weight or they haven't proven to be very powerful yet, if that makes sense. Um, one of the things that we did see was Sean Spencer, the, the new defensive line coach, really, really working with the defensive linemen yesterday on Thursday with attacking the blocking sled with the proper pad level, the proper leverage. And frankly, that was a problem for Florida last year at times. You know, guys on the defensive line, if there was one kind of consistent flaw that I would say, it's that you had way too many of those younger tackles sort of get their shoulders turned and, and not stay square at the line of scrimmage. And that created a lot of issues in the run game as far as allowing gaps to open up, spilling things to the linebackers and into the secondary. 
So I think there's a lot of work to be done on the defensive line. Like you said, I think we'll focus on that more heavily going forward. Um, but I, I look at this defense. I, you know, I'm, I want to learn more about Patrick Tony. The more I hear about his philosophy defensively, I feel like it's going to be sort of a night and day change for Florida. It seems very meticulous. Um, but, you know, like you said, I think, I think there's going to be a lot that we can focus on. I guess to sort of wrap us up here, big picture, whole team, what will you be focusing on the next couple of days in terms of things you want to see or just maybe even things that you haven't paid a whole lot of attention to yet that you want to get a better idea of? Well, I'll start with the most broad thing, and that's the defense. I, I, I want to spend as much time as I can, given the limited window that we have. You know, Saturday we have another practice, and then again next week we have, we have three. We should have three. Uh, I, I want to spend some of those really focusing on the defense and gaining an understanding of who looks what, who's doing what. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think we're also going to have a better opportunity to do that once we see guys put on shells or even full pads. And the defense is easier to evaluate when that happens. So we're going to be able to get that next week. And that's something that I'm definitely looking forward to. And then it really just goes back to the things offensively that we touched on. It's are the quarterbacks developing in a positive direction in terms of their accuracy and their arm strength? Are the receivers getting into positions with their effective route running? Are they looking quicker? Are they making better catches? Are there still as many drops on the other hand? That's going to be really important. I think for the running back room, I want to see if that room stays consistent. It was a good start through two practices. What does that look like as pads start to get added? And, you know, maybe we see an 11 on 11 period and we get to understand exactly who's doing what in what role. What's the pecking order at running back? I think that's important to understand. And then there's one more thing that I'm going to throw in there. It's what does this coaching staff look like as they're able to, pre to work with a team for a full 15 spring practices? Obviously, it goes without saying this is a new group. And I think with any team, it's super important to get an understanding of what are the coaching philosophies? How do they run a practice? And how are guys responding to that? And I think the early takeaway has been overwhelmingly positive. The players who we've talked to have spoken glowingly, not only of their position group coaches, but of Billy Napier. And I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting that to change publicly, but I think that there's something to be said for how are guys responding to their coaches in practices. And that is important to watch for. And it is something that I've been watching for and it'll continue to be. So those are my big things right now. And I think the most important is definitely that coaching piece. Jacob, awesome stuff, man. It's been awesome having you on the podcast. We will have you on repeatedly throughout the spring. It's really cool for me kind of uh, seeing someone come into the beat, you know, for the first time, not really necessarily as familiar with Florida because, you know, it, it it's a fresh perspective, right? And sometimes when you do cover these guys and you can sort of forget that, you know, some of these guys are only, you know, sophomores or redshirt sophomores and you kind of write them off too quickly. And then somebody fresh comes in and says, oh, that guy actually looks pretty good to me. That's cool to me. So we'll continue to flesh that out over the spring. Jacob, thanks for being on, man. That'll do it, guys, for today's episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. If you're enjoying this, uh, we've been cranking out content a lot more regularly on the podcast. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit like and subscribe. Uh, feel free to leave us a positive review if you're listening on an audio-only platform like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. just helps us reach more people. And I think uh, certainly with Jacob's input here going forward on both the team and recruiting, there's going to be a lot to look forward to in future episodes. So thanks for tuning in, guys. That'll do it for us today on the Swamp 24-7 podcast.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.